0: This is episode number 169 with Alexandra Franzen. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Beautiful. I just wanted to quickly remind you that if you haven't already, make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. So, head on over to the app or Google Play Store to download it today. Don't forget to follow me once you're done so that you can listen to my episodes one day earlier than they're usually released. Pretty cool, huh? Today's podcast is brought to you by Samina Sleep, which I'm so excited to tell you about. For those of you who've been a long time listener to my show will know there's a common piece of advice with all the health and wellness experts I've had on, and that is they all highlight the importance of sleep. Getting our eight hours of deep, good quality Zs is so imperative for our body, mind, and spirit. We can all relate to that sluggish, groggy feeling after a bad night's sleep or not enough sleep. You just don't feel like the best version of you. And not only do we spend one third of our life in bed, this is where so much rejuvenation and magic happens. And a Samina sleep system can help make those eight hours even more deep rejuvenating, detoxifying, and healing. You see, our home and especially our bedroom should be a wellness sanctuary and as toxic-free as possible. And our beds can contain many toxins such as formaldehyde, synthetic non-breathable materials, and harmful chemicals such as flame retardants. Also, many memory foam mattresses often do not disclose their contents, but have been found to have VOCs, benzenes and other potentially carcinogenic materials. Gross, huh? Now, the reason I know all of this is because if you follow me on Instagram, you will know that I've recently finished renovating our dream home, which we did as low tox as possible. The paints, the glues, the materials we used were all low-tox and we wanted to make sure that the place that we spend eight hours every single night was as toxic-free as possible, which is why we got a Semina Sleep System. And another thing I learned doing my research was that most traditional mattresses encourages trapping moisture from your sweat and drool to remain inside so dust mites colonize inside the mattress. That is so gross, huh? And also a lot of other beds and mattresses have metal springs and they'll put into the mattress and the bed frame. Now, this was before we had electricity running through the walls, Wi-Fi routers inside our homes and RF devices everywhere. And these metal springs in our mattress and in our bases act like little antennas attracting that bad frequency to you, to your body, to your cells all night long. So we're basically sleeping on Wi-Fi magnets. Great, huh? So one of the other epic things about Samina is that there are no springs or no metal at all, which means you are safe all night long and your rejuvenating, your healing, your detoxification can go even deeper. It's also an epic bed for couples because it has individual back support on each side. It's temperature regulated and it's not too soft. So if you want to take your healing and your sleep to the next level, head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash Samina, S-A-M-I-N-A, to get 10% off your Samina sleep system. And enjoy, soak it up, it is so good. Alexandra Franzen is the author of So This is the End: A Love Story. She is also a prolific copywriter and ghostwriter and her other projects include You're Going to Survive, 50 Ways to Say You're Awesome, a best-selling question of the day journal, and a romance novel called Milk and Honey. She has written articles for Time, Forbes, Newsweek, The Huffington Post, and Life Lifehacker. She has been mentioned in places like the New York Times Small Business Blog, The Atlantic, USA Today, Stylecaster, Buzzfeed, Brit & Co, and Inc. She loves writing to share inspiring true stories, writing and creative tips, positivity, encouragement, and motivation to pursue your goals. She also works as a copywriter and writing coach, helping clients to develop podcasts, videos, websites, pitches, proposals, and books. And in today's episode, we chat about her story, how to move through fear to write a book, the key starting spot for book writing. Does everyone actually have a book in them? I loved her take on this. What happens when we suppress our creativity? Her best writing tips and tricks. The three ingredients for masterful writing. I give you my writing tips. The two things to make a successful piece of work. The keys to moving through vulnerability hangovers. Why she quit social media and the benefits she has gained from this. I loved her take on this. Plus, so much more. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash one six nine. But before we dive into today's episode, I want to read the review of the week. And this comes from Zez Pun, and it's a five star, and it's titled So Inspiring. And she says, I love Melissa's podcasts, they are so relatable and inspiring. I love to listen as I walk barefoot along the beach in the morning for a little me time. I've learned so much already and the knowledge is so helpful for my own health journey and my journey as an inspiring health coach. Thank you so much, Zez, for that beautiful five-star review. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave that review right now. I would be so, so grateful. And without further ado, let's bring on the super inspiring Alexandra Franzen. Alexandra, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning?
1: Ooh, I had actually some delicious pumpkin bread with cranberries and coffee. That was my breakfast, mm. which is actually kind of an unusual breakfast for me, but that's what happened today. <laughs> Just flow with it. Go with yeah. it. <laughs> Stepping out of the box.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to chat to you because I discovered your work years ago, and I love what you do, and I love that you have stepped away from social media, which we will chat about. But before we dive into all of that, can you tell us about your story and how you got to where you are today doing the work that you now do?
1: Yeah, sure. So I work as a writer. I've written several books, both fiction and nonfiction. I also have written articles for many, many publications, and I work with clients. So companies will hire me for different types of writing and editing projects, sometimes project development, like developing a brand new podcast or YouTube show or something like that. So I get to work with a lot of cool clients as well. And I also am, as of now, this hasn't really even been announced publicly yet, but I will I'll break the news here. (laughs) I'm also the editor of a new publishing imprint, a new division of a publishing company, and we are specializing in tiny books, meaning short books that are around 150, 100 pages or less. So I get to select those books and mentor the authors and get them ready for publication, which is really exciting too. So, long story short, I do lots of things related to writing and words. And gosh, the story of how I got here. I mean, I feel like we could, as with anybody's story, we could spend a year talking about it. But the quick version is that I've always been, I've always loved writing. I've always been drawn to it. As a little kid, I would skip sports and head straight for the library (laughs) during lunchtime at school. And, you know, I, I didn't really understand at first how to make a living as a writer, but Starting around my mid-20s, I started to you know, take some little risks and try things out and, and start to piece together a career for myself, and it's just grown and grown from there. And I'm so lucky, too, that I, I have a very supportive community and family of people who have always said to me, you know, you are a writer, you can do this, which I know is very rare. Unfortunately, most people hear the opposite message as they're growing up, but I was, I was blessed to have people who really cheered for me from the get-go. So that's the the quick, quick version of my story. And I'm sure we'll, if you have any other specific questions, let me know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people listening, you know, either want to write a book or have this book inside of them that they just think, oh, I really want to share this, but they have so much fear and so much self-doubt. So how can we move through that fear and let that creativity come through?
1: Yeah. Oh, it's one of my favorite questions. So the very first thing that comes to mind is to start really, really, really small. Start so tiny. And to give you a specific example, several years ago, I had a dream of writing a book. But I felt overwhelmed by the prospect of writing a book. It seemed like so much work and so much time, and I I didn't even really know like where to begin, how do you structure it, and so on and so forth. And so I decided kind of impulsively, really, to just start really, really small and write what I call a tiny book. So I decided to write like a 15 page book, like literally just 15 pages. I just picked one very specific topic and I decided I'm just going to write, you know, basically a really long blog post (laughs) on this topic and I'm going to self-publish it. And I'm not even going to print it. It's going to be digital. I'm just going to type 15 pages of material on this subject that I know a lot about. And I'm going to click file, save as PDF. And boom, my digital book is done. And then I'm going to share that book with whoever wants it. And, and that was truly my very first book. It was a little, little teeny, teeny, tiny book. But it was so empowering because after I finished that first tiny book, I felt kind of a little light inside of me. I felt like a shift in my body and I felt like, wow, I, I did that. You know, I completed a tiny book. And it gave me the excitement and the motivation and, and just a little more confidence to keep marching forward and tackle bigger and bigger and bigger projects. Um, you know, eventually writing a full length novel and finding a literary agent and getting publishing deal and all that stuff. But for anyone who's at that early stage where they're just like, I want to write, you know, I, I think I want to write a book or, or maybe a blog or essays or articles or I don't just something I feel called to write my advice would be start with the smallest little project that you can imagine. Start by writing a letter to someone that you love, like really small, and let it grow from there. Because once you complete a tiny project, then it's like the momentum starts to build, and then you complete another tiny project and another, and then it grows and it grows. And then eventually before you know it, you're at a place where tackling a full-length book manuscript doesn't feel quite so daunting anymore. So start small is my
0: very best advice. Do you believe everybody has a book inside them? No,
1: <laughs> I don't.
0: I really don't because I think that we
1: all, I, I will say we are all have something inside of us. And I think we all want to express ourselves and share our stories and make a difference in some way or another. But I don't think everyone wants or needs to write a book. There are so many ways to express yourself. I mean, you can do a podcast like the one that you've got. You can do a one woman show on stage. You can write beautiful letters and scatter them anonymously around your city. You, can, I mean, there's so many things you can do and not everyone needs to write a book. There's plenty of other ways to share your message that aren't book related. Although, of course, books are beautiful, but yeah, not the only option for sure.
0: Yeah, I agree. We all have that creative bubble inside of us. And I feel yeah. like we we do need to express it. And it's different for everyone. Like For me, it's writing. And for someone else, it might be music or pottery or whatever it is. But I feel like we all have this creativity within us. And a lot of us suppress it. And maybe because growing up someone told us it was stupid or we can't make money from it and and like you were saying that that didn't happen to you you had people saying you can do it and you're an amazing writer so what happens if we suppress that creativity that's bubbling away inside of us
1: ooh yeah that's a great question and you know even though I did have a supportive family who I come from a very creative artistic family so even though I had that family support I still encountered some, you know, tons of rejection and blocks along the way. And there were many years where I really squelched my creativity and, and and suppressed it, as you say. Right after graduating from university, I ended up getting a job that I thought was my dream job. It was, it was working for a big radio production company doing radio. And at first I worked in the communication department, which seemed like a perfect fit. And then I got promoted in this, that, and the other. And I was kind of on this track of, you know, climbing up the ladder, so to speak, and, and getting various promotions and opportunities. And several years went by and I, I had this realization that I wasn't writing, like not really. I mean, there was some writing involved in my job, but it was mostly emails and technical manuals and, and things that were very dry. And I hadn't really been flexing my creative muscles at all, like for years. And, and I felt really sad about that. And I started to feel, I mean, even if you look at photos of me from that time in my life, like I, I look kind of pale and almost like the light's been kind of sucked out of my eyes, you know, like I, I don't look like myself. And I think it's because I was, I was working so hard at this, at this demanding, you know, kind of cubicle job and I wasn't having any space in my day. I wasn't making any space in my day. personal art projects or personal creative projects or projects that were meaningful to me. So I I definitely know what that feels like to kind of squelch down your creativity and just get caught up in the, the busyness of life. And it's not fun. I actually started to feel over time, like kind of mentally ill, really. Like I started to feel depressed and anxious and I would start crying at work just out of nowhere. I'd have to go in the bathroom and like close the door and just cry and and i think looking back it was that was almost like my body's way of of telling me you're not on the right track you know you need to change something about your life about your career and 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 get your creative mojo back because things were just feeling so stifling have you ever had an experience like that where you you felt like your creativity
0: was really squelched or suppressed absolutely so much so that it made me sick yeah, You know, I ended up really unwell and unhappy because I had just got caught up in the doing of life and right. really pushed my creativity to the side. You know, I'm a writer. I've got two books out. And for me, it's something that I love so much. But I also have other things that really allow me to express my creativity. Dance is another one. I used to be a professional dancer and now I do it for fun with my husband. We're learning. We started at the start of this year learning ballroom and latin. Oh, so fun. <laughs> it is so much fun. It's so much fun. And you know, just some other things like pottery and you know, painting and things like that. They're all just really forms of expressing who I am and I love it. And I know that when I don't do it, Something is niggling away inside me. It's like, hello, you know, what about me? Like, I want I want to be expressed. Yeah. So anyone listening, you know, whatever that thing is that makes you feel like in flow state, they they call it, or where you just, you know, time goes by and you, you know, you could be there for hours and you don't even realize, like, whether it's painting or art or writing or singing or dancing or pottery or gardening or whatever it is, that creative outlet that feels really good in your cells, you know, do it, do it regularly because it's so important for your health and for your happiness.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think as human beings, we're not meant to just consume, we're meant to create as well. And yeah, we all have, like we were talking about earlier, it may, it may not be a book, but we all have something that we want to play with and create and express and. Yeah, when there's no space for that, when it's just choked out of life, it just doesn't feel good. And I think our, our minds and bodies and hearts start to kind of
0: revolt against it. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to the writing, you're a prolific writer. How do you get into the writing space? You know, a lot of people ask me, okay, you've written two books. How did you do it? You know, what was your process? Do you have any advice on how to kind of get into that writing space or any little tips or tricks?
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love this topic. So, I mean, there's so many aspects of writing. And and I think that, number one, I think you need to begin with a topic or a message that you are genuinely on fire about. Like, if you sit down and you try to write a 300-page book manuscript about a topic that you're kind of like, meh. About, it's going to be really difficult. You know, you need to start with something that you are so excited to write about. And it can be anything. You know, it can be the clothing of the Victorian era, or it can be a sexy romance novel, or it can be a book about, you know, how to grow your business to the next level or whatever. But it needs to be a topic that you're jazzed about to begin with. That makes everything easier. It's kind of like the difference between having a conversation about something, you know, you're obsessed with versus having like a boring small talk conversation. You want to be obsessed. So that's number one. And then I also feel that your environment is so important. I'm always saying to my clients and to my students who come to writing classes, you need to Set up a beautiful space for yourself. I think that's so important. And, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, that you go and rent an office somewhere. It can be a corner of your home or a corner of your bedroom or a corner of your kitchen or whatever you can manage. But I think having a beautiful space where there's, you know, you can light a candle and there's a lovely flower and you can put on your headphones and listen to your favorite music and maybe look out the window. I think that's so important combined with environment, of course, time you know, carving out time that is just for you and just for this project. And that I think is often the hardest thing for people for so many reasons, partly just because life is busy, but partly because I find that many people feel like they don't really deserve to take that time. They feel like, you know, oh, it's it's such an indulgence. It's such a luxury to set aside three hours to tinker away with a writing project that, you know, I ought to be making money. I ought to be paying bills. I ought to be with driving my kids around. I ought to be doing this. I ought to be making chicken. I got, you know, blah, blah, blah. and it's like creativity gets bumped down the priority list to the very, 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 very bottom. And that breaks my heart because it doesn't belong at the bottom. You know, it deserves a place in your life, just like everything else, I believe. So I think if if you can get those three components at least to start with a topic that you're genuinely obsessed with some kind of beautiful space in your home or in your office or in your city and some time those are like the three ingredients to get things going for sure and then from there I mean there's a million different ways to think about how to structure an article or how to structure a book and and all of the sort of technique of writing but I think that those first three things need to be in place first. What about you? What's your thoughts on how to create a writing practice or how to complete a writing project? What do you think people need?
0: Well, for my, my two books that I have out, I have done blocked times where I've gone away. So for Mastering Your main Girl, I went away and I before I went away, I set up everything with my team so that yeah. that was the only thing I was working on. I wasn't being pulled in any other direction. You know, I almost locked myself away and I gave myself six weeks and I wrote it in two and a half weeks. And that is literally because that is all I did all day. My phone was nowhere to be seen. I didn't have any, like I didn't have any other things that I needed to do. So I was able to do that and that really worked for me. So I did that for my second book. Again, I locked myself away and gave myself, you know, this time and just laser focused. I find working with, you know, Bose noise cancelling headphones on is really helpful. And, you know, having a space where you're not going to be interrupted. So closing the door, I think is really important because once you get into that flow state, we were talking about before that creative flow state I like to not be interrupted. I like to just be in the zone. And when I was writing both of my books, I would give myself, you know, time frames. I would say, okay, so I'm going to sit from nine till 12. And I would make myself do that. Not make myself, I would just say that's what I'm going to do. And I'm the kind of person that that works really well for me. I know a lot of people, they, they might feel like that's quite rigid or restricted. But for me, that's what I I loved and what really worked. So that's my process. And I'm not writing a book at the moment, although I have three kind of Mm. circulating me at the moment. And it's interesting because there is resistance to starting that process again. And there's resistance for a few reasons because I know how much it takes. (laughs) I know. I know the mammoth task that it is. It's, it's also Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art. Have you read that book? Yes, it's a great one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and also I really wanted to allow myself some time away from my computer and my phone yeah. after being glued to it for so long. I was finding feeling almost a little bit allergic to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I just want to be in nature. I want to step away from it do you feel like that? Like, I mean, being, you know, attached to your computer so much as well, like how do you set those boundaries with yourself? Like, cause I'm so sensitive. I feel cortisol-y if I've spent too much time in front of my computer and my phone. Do you get like that? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, It's so funny because I've, I've chosen
1: writing as my profession, which of course, you know, as you know, requires you to be at a computer, at least for a portion of every day that you're writing and typing, typing, typing and staring at a screen and so on and so forth. And yet I hate screens (laughs) and I, me too. I mean, I really do feel allergic to computers as well. So, you know, something that I've been doing lately, which has actually been so much fun and really helpful is I'm staring at it right now. I have a whole wall in my workspace that's covered with bulletin boards, you know, like those cork boards where you can pin things to them. Mm. And I have an entire board that's just called mental and physical health. And every week I write down with a big marker about maybe like 10, 15 different little experiences that I want to have away from my computer at some point in the following week. So for example, get in the ocean is on my list. Get a massage is on the list. Go to yoga, eat a salad, <laughs> make a music playlist and take a walk. I, I write down like specific things that get me away from my desk and out in the world and enjoying the sunshine and out in nature. And then as the week goes along, as I complete each thing, I put a little check mark next to it. And I am a total like checklist person. So it gives me deep, emotional satisfaction to see all the check marks appearing as the week goes on but i mean really what it is is it's just a visual reminder to me to close my laptop and go outside at least once every single day otherwise i start to feel so gross and just so like constricted in my heart even though i really enjoy the work that i'm doing so that helps me just having like a, a visual checklist reminding me hey there's a whole world out there away from your from your laptop. That helps me to create some balance.
0: Oh, thank you so much for saying that. Cause I was thinking, oh, I'm gonna be a quote unquote bad writer because I hate sitting at my laptop. <laughs> I I just I you know, and some people are like, get out a typewriter and get out of pen and paper. I'm like, no, I'm such a faster typer than I am actually writer, and my handwriting is so woeful now. Yeah. But What I've also found really helpful for me is those blocks of time. So, you know, the first half of my morning is all self-care and then I'll sit and then, you know, getting away at lunchtime and then, you know, maybe doing a bit more in the afternoon, but just not having too much screen time. Otherwise, I just, it really, I can feel it in my cells and it just feels... Feels yucky, and I've got to do those things to rebalance, like getting out in nature and meditating and yoga and eating well and all of those amazing things. Yes, that we have access to. But I would love to know you have worked with so many yours. You've also done ghostwriting, right? Yeah. And you have worked on so many books. You've worked on so many articles, and you've edited and you've done so much. Like, what are some of the core elements to a successful piece of work? Like you've seen so much and, and specifically in maybe your ghost writing, like what have you seen over the years that has really made a piece of work stand out?
1: Oh, this is a really cool question. I don't know that I've ever been asked this question actually. And I would say, so, so to, to anyone who's listening, who doesn't know what ghost Is it basically means that someone hires me because they want to write an article or they want to write a book or they want to sometimes it's a speech or a talk or something like that. They've got the general concept, they've got the message, but they want to hire a professional writer like me to kind of help pull it out of them. So I'll usually interview them, I'll listen to the way that their voice naturally sounds, I'll ask them questions, I'll get them to tell me the story that they want to express. And then I'll write it down in their voice, in their style. And then they'll usually go and put a couple of like final flourishes on it. So that's basically what ghostwriting is. It's kind of like hiring uh, sort of like a a, a word midwife or doula to help you (laughs) like give birth to your project or your book. So in terms of what makes a piece of writing really successful, I would say that the two things I've noticed consistently are. Number one, that it has a very clear message that is simple and that echoes in people's minds. So, for instance, and it doesn't have to be complicated, it doesn't even have to be like original or revolutionary, just a simple message, a message that human hearts need to hear. It could be as simple as, You are beautiful, or today is not over yet, or Today might be your last day. You know, it can be a very simple message, but if the piece has some kind of clear message that people are thinking about afterwards, that's very powerful. And the other thing that makes a piece of writing so powerful is, of course, including a true story, a personal story from your life, perhaps a story that's a bit vulnerable, perhaps a story where you made a mistake Or you experienced something difficult, or, you know, you had a huge setback or a loss or a fumble, you know, some kind of story where maybe you are not even necessarily the hero at the beginning. Anytime you can share a personal experience, a personal story, immediately that makes your writing so much more powerful because the people reading, the people in the audience are going to be nodding and going, Oh my gosh, me too. Or, I feel less alone now. Or, oh my God, I thought I was the only one. Thank you for sharing that. Or even if they don't relate to your story in that kind of direct way, they'll be drawn in by your story because they'll understand, wow, you know, they'll, they'll connect with your, your humanity, your humanness. So yeah, a clear message combined with a personal story, boom, that is a recipe for a powerful piece of writing for sure. I love that
0: so much. And that intimacy is what we're hardwired for. And vulnerability makes us lean in. It connects us and it builds trust and builds the relationship between you and the reader or anyone. You know, when we're honest and vulnerable and authentic with anyone, those are the friendships or the relationships that are probably more deep. And then you might have other friendships where. Maybe you aren't as open and they're more of a surface level relationship, but you want when you're writing, your audience or your reader to really go deep with you, then you've got to really open up. I'm curious to hear, I, with both of my books and on social media and even on the podcast and in my events and everything I do, there's often times where I walk off stage or Walk away from writing something and have what I call a vulnerability hangover. <laughs> Do you
1: experience that? Yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's sort of that feeling of of oh, I've I've shared maybe I've shared too much, you might wonder, or I've just shared such a such a personal story and now I feel kind of drained. You know, maybe you were almost even on the brink of tears as you were speaking when you feel that vulnerability hangover, what does it feel like for you? Is it, is it the worry that you've shared too much or is it something else?
0: Yeah. Oh, it's more mainly I, you know, because when I'm writing, I'm in my heart and I'm in flow. And then if I walk away from it and then go into my head and start doubting myself, mm-hmm. that's when that vulnerability comes in. Is like, You've shared too much. They're going to judge you, all this stuff, which is just what I call my inner mean girl, you know, telling me all of these doubtful, limiting beliefs. And then when I tune back in and I get back into my heart and I ask myself, you know, was it true for me to share that story? And the answer is yes. And was this story shared to serve my reader? And the answer is yes. Then I can kind of get out of my head and just you know master my own mean girl and and thank her for trying to look after me but i know that i needed to share that story because that was a very connecting story and you know those are the stories that people come up to me in the street and say thank you so much thank you yeah. so much for sharing that because i thought i was the only one or right. thank you so much for being so honest and authentic and vulnerable around this because it helped me with This, you know, and so it's when I go into my head in my ego where that doubt seeps in. But when I come back into my heart, it's it dissolves. Yeah. And I love the way
1: that you just described that because, yeah, if you, I mean, when you're getting on that stage, getting ready to share a personal story with your audience or, or whatever you're sharing it in writing, in a book, wherever, you know, you, if you have a pure intention, meaning, My intention is to share my story so that you feel less alone. Or my intention is to share my story to give you hope or to share my story to give you inspiration. Like if you're coming at it from a pure intention of wanting to inspire and uplift and serve other people, then you kind of can't do wrong, you know, and and your intention is going to be felt by the people in the audience. Now, if you're telling a personal story and and you have kind of a dark and twisted intention. Maybe your intention really is that you want to shame your ex for treating you so badly or you want to, you know, you you sort of have a muddled intention. Well, then you're going to feel kind of icky afterwards and have a real vulnerability <laughs> hangover <laughs> because, you know, your intention wasn't quite aligned. But so so that, all of this is to say if you're worried, you know, should I write this? Should I post this? Should I publish this? Should I share this? Yeah, just take a moment, check in with yourself, ask yourself, what's my real intention here? You know, if I'm being really honest, what's my intention in wanting to share this story? And if you find that your intention is to serve and heal and uplift and help and connect and hopefully make someone have a slightly better day or feel less alone, then that's a beautiful intention and you can march right ahead with confidence. And share your story and know that you're doing it for the right reasons. I think the intention behind the words that you say is so important and it can be felt by the people listening and reading.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love that. Intention is everything. Yeah. Everything. It's so true. Thank you for sharing that. Now, like I said before, you are very prolific with your writing and with your writing for yourself and for others. And you made a very bold decision many years ago to not be on social media. So can you talk to us about this? Because I would just love to hear your thoughts. You know, what drove that decision and how has it impacted your business and your life? And have you found any repercussions from it? And, and what have you gained? Yeah, I love talking
1: about this because I feel like, well, I'm not sure how old you are. I'm guessing we're around the same age, but I remember a time before the internet, you know, like I'm sort of of that generation. Yeah. Where, you know, we have incredible devices and we have the internet and we have laptops and tablets and smartphones and everything. But I remember being in high school and not having a cell phone. You know, I, I was right on the cusp. So I can still remember life before the internet and life before social media. And when I was in my 20s, when I decided to quit my full-time job and try to become a self-employed freelance writer, I was strongly encouraged by mentors to get on social media. And, and many people told me, you know, you've got to be on social media. You need to be on, you need to have consistent branding across all platforms and you need to, you know, you need to be very active and and that's how you're going to build an audience and that's how you're going to find clients. And, you know, if you're not on social media, you might as well not exist was basically the, the message that was given to me. So I was like, all right, all right, all right. So I, I created all these profiles and I, I had Twitter and I had Facebook and I had Instagram and I had Pinterest and I had, you know, Google Plus or whatever whatever else, Vine. I don't know. There was others that, you know, don't even exist anymore. And I got really active and I I worked hard to, you know, try to build a following and and I found that, especially at first, I really liked it. You know, social media. Is fun. At least it can be, especially for someone like me who loves to write and share and inspire and entertain and you know play with the written words. So I got really into it, and I was you know tweeting up the wazoo. (laughs) And a couple of years went by, and I started to notice, and maybe you feel this way too when it comes to social media. Like I started to notice that some changes were happening in my brain with my habits that I didn't like very much. For instance, I, I remember that I, w- I would reach for my phone sometimes automatically, you know, without even realizing I was doing it, almost like I was sleepwalking. And I would just reach for my phone and start scrolling, scrolling, scrolling to see, you know, the latest updates. Or I would, I would feel noticeably sad or kind of down If I didn't have a bunch of likes or comments or retweets or whatever, like my, my self-esteem was becoming very intertwined with how many people were enjoying my content on social media, you know? So I I noticed some weird things happening in my brain (laughs) as the years went along. I, I was almost like I was becoming dependent on social media or even addicted, you could say, where I was relying on it to make me feel good about myself. And I noticed this happening and it troubled me quite a bit. So I decided to do a little math and I I literally sat down one day with a calculator and I asked myself, okay, well, if I'm going to tweet, you know, if I tweet today, how many minutes of my life goes into one tweet? And I, I figured, you know, well, it's, it's a minute or two to kind of Think of what I want to tweet, and then it's a minute or two to type it in, and then I got to edit it, make it shorter, put the link, you know, whatever. And then I post it, and then it's a minute or two to kind of track to see who liked it or retweeted it. And then I check back again later that day, another couple minutes there, see, you know, and I, I estimated that about twelve minutes of my life goes into like the crafting and cultivation of each tweet. And I was like, all right, so twelve minutes per tweet. And then I multiplied that by the average number of times I was tweeting every day. And I multiplied that by the number of times I had tweeted in the previous year. And then I multiplied that by like, you know, if I were to continue tweeting at my current rate for the rest of my life, like for the next 40, 50 years, what's the grand total? How many minutes of my life, how much time? will have gone into Twitter if I continue at my current rate. And I did the math. And what I found was that it was about three years of my life that would have gone into Twitter. And once I saw that big number, three years, (laughs) it was very unsettling to me. And I actually felt kind of sick to my stomach. I felt kind of nauseous and I I thought that can't possibly be right. And I did the math again, but it was because those minutes add up (laughs) over the years. And I just immediately had this sense like, that's just not okay for me. You know, there's just so many other things I would rather spend those three years doing. And and it just doesn't feel right to know that three precious years of my life are going to be funneled into Twitter. So after I kind of had that somewhat startling realization, I decided to make some changes. And I, I started with some small changes. I was nervous to stop using social media because everyone had told me that if you're not on social media, your business is going to tank and you're not going to make any money and you'll never have any clients and you might as well just go shrivel up and live in a box somewhere. (laughs) So I worried that there would be a negative impact on my business and career if I stopped using social media. So I decided to take at first just a temporary break. I just said, I'm going to take the summer off and see how it goes and see if anything bad happens. So I took the summer off, nothing bad happened. (laughs) And then I became a little braver. And then I decided to, you know, take more time off and more. And eventually, one by one by one, I deactivated all of my various social media accounts. And I decided that I only wanted to, at least for now, run my website and run my email newsletter, which is primarily how I stay connected with people and that's it. And just not be present on all the other platforms. And yeah, it's been several years since I made that decision. And every person is different and every business and career is different. And, and everyone has a different relationship with social media. But I think personally, it was the right choice. And I have no regrets.
0: I don't miss it at all. And that was three years just on Twitter. You're not even taking into consideration Facebook and Instagram. I know. Oh my gosh. I know it's, it's wild. And I,
1: I, even though it's a little uh, unsettling to do, I encourage everyone listening to sit down with a calculator and do the math and, and not just with social media, but like with everything in life, you know, how many Minutes, hours, months, years are you spending, you know, stuck in traffic on your way to your job that you don't even like? Or, you know, how many minutes, hours, years are you spending looking in the mirror and, and saying mean things to your body? Like, the, there's just, we spend so much time, so much time, so many life minutes doing all of these things that are either, you know, meaningless or, or actually harmful. So I think it's very powerful to actually calculate the number. And looking at that big number can really motivate you to make some changes. I know it certainly did for me. And do you miss it? No, I don't. I really don't. You know, I, I have an amazing tribe of friends. I have, you know, about five really, really close friends that I text and call and see on a regular basis. I have an amazing family. I love meeting up with people for spontaneous workouts and meals. I, I send emails if I need to get in touch with a client or whatever. I mean, I, there's so many ways to communicate and connect and, and have a rich life. And social media is a great tool if you want to use it, but it's an optional tool. It's not a mandatory tool. And there's plenty of other ways to stay connected,
0: I feel. Mm. I agree. The other day, someone said to me, Do you have WhatsApp? And I said, No. And they're like, Get on WhatsApp. And I was like, No, no, (laughs) I'm, I'm, no, no, thank you. I'm not like, I don't need another way that people can get into me. And I am, you know, there's like you said, there's so many ways, there's so many social media platforms, there's email, there's texting, there's phone calls, there's so many things, and they're all amazing. But they, if you allow it, it could really overwhelm and, and stress you. And so I've had to assert some boundaries within myself. You know, I have no notifications on my phone. I have turned voicemail off my phone. I don't want you to leave me a voice message. Don't leave me. That's another thing I have to check. Like, uh-huh. you know, I don't. I don't want another thing to check. I deleted WhatsApp. I don't have the only social media I have on my phone is Instagram. I don't have Facebook. I don't have Twitter. I don't have anything else because I just really needed to find what works for me. And I put a limit on my social media on my phone. You know, the, the latest update on the iPhone, you can do that. You can set, you know, half an hour on social media or half an hour on emails or whatever it is. And setting that up for yourself is really helpful. I'm sure when you did that, you felt like you had gained so much time. Did you feel like that? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. I I think I gained time. I gained more quiet and space inside my mind. And it also also forced me in a good way to look at where does my self-esteem come from? You know, why do I like myself? Why do I feel good about who I am as a human being? And is it because you know a hundred people retweeted my last tweet, or is it for some other reason that's not connected necessarily to external validation or praise? So for so many reasons, for me, dropping off social media was a great choice, but but again, it's it's not a it's not about, you know, oh doesn't have to be black or white. It doesn't have to be you you delete all your accounts or you have all your accounts like you, you know, people can just choose to be more intentional with social media and say, you know, I love Instagram. I don't love Facebook. I want to have email. I don't want WhatsApp, you know, just making intentional choices and making it work for you so that you're engaging in the way that you want to engage and you're not overloaded. I think that's
0: so beautiful. It's all about intention, just like we talked about earlier. And when you found yourself with so much more white space, were you like, "Uh, what do I do with all this space?" Like, did you immediately want to fill it, or how was that process for you? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I would say
1: that the white space has been filled with beautiful, creative projects that are really meaningful to me. You know, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that some of you know what I consider to be my favorite creative projects including several full-length books were created after i dropped off social media <laughs> like it definitely freed up a lot of space and energy and time that i could then funnel into other projects that felt more meaningful to me as well as just life you know it's a beautiful thing to feel free of all, of all the digital tethers and the need to check and respond and comment and track It gives you a little more space to be able to spontaneously call your mom, you know, for a long chat or meet up with a girlfriend for a walk or whatever. So yeah, so many benefits. And I I love having the white space. I would like even more of it (laughs) in my life.
0: (laughs) Yeah, beautiful. That's something that I'm very intentional about is creating and keeping lots of white space in my calendar. So yeah. I'm not the person that books back-to-back meetings and back-to-back podcasts and back-to-back catch-ups with friends on the weekends. I used to and it burnt me out. So for me it's like if I look at my week ahead, so you know on a, on the Sunday I kind of look at my week ahead and I look at what I've got coming up and do I need to organize anything? Do I need to maybe move something and if i look at my week ahead and i feel ang- anxiety or overwhelm the first thing i do is go in and i'm like move that delete that reschedule that cancel that and i just go in like and just chop my calendar apart so that there are these big chunks of white space for me to go and walk along the beach and to just be you know something i have been really feeling of late is not wanting to consume, you know, not wanting to read personal development books and listen to every audiobook and podcast that comes out and 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 just consume, consume, and consume. And so I've been doing this really novel thing. Get ready for this. Are you ready? I'm strapped in. (laughs) I have been going for walks without my phone. Wow. (laughs) It's so, it's like in the olden days. (laughs) Yeah. Like full old school. Right. And I cannot tell you when I first started doing it, I had like a little bit like, Oh, like almost like I noticed this like security blanket thing. It was so Mm -hmm. like, I, I, you know, you know how children are, are with like their toys and things like that, like their blankets or their toys. I noticed myself like feel uncomfortable without it. And it was so interesting. And I was like, okay, I really need to look at my relationship here with my phone. And am I plugged in to technology and, and the technology matrix right now? And so when I went for this walk, the first time I did it, I was walking and I was like, this is so beautiful. This is I was listening to the waves. I was looking at the trees. I was smiling at all the people. I was watching the surfers. I was feeling the sand between my toes and I was fine. And I was like, this is amazing. And I came home and I told my husband and he was like, yeah, like, yeah, that's, that's just called life, honey. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'd kind of forgot because I had become this serial learner, yeah, this serial consumer of Okay, every spare bit of white space I have, I have to fill it with reading or learning or audiobooks or podcasts, right? And it was coming from a place of yeah, not being enough or not feeling enough when or not not doing enough or not achieving enough. And when I really looked at that and unpacked that, I was like, wow, no, 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 I am enough just as I am. I don't need to achieve and do and strive and be who I am is enough. And now it's like every morning when I go and do my walk, I'm just like, oh, so good. It's just heaven. Yeah, it's amazing. I met this woman in London
1: a few years ago. She runs a business where she basically leads people on phone-free, unplugged walks around the city. And they just meet up with her at a you know predetermined location and she takes people on these beautiful tech-free walks around London and all they do is look at stuff, you know, and like walk mindfully and smile at people and look at the plants and look at the architecture and just, just walk. And people love it so much because it is so different from how so many of us live our, our busy, plugged in lives these days. And she came up with this phrase that I love, which is look up, not down. You know, because we're always looking down at our devices and walking and scrolling and walking and texting and walking and typing and you know looking down at our phones. And she invites people to look up. And as you found on your beautiful walk by the waves the other day, up is amazing. <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of beauty going on in the world around us if we'll just put our phones away or leave them at home and and take it all in. So I, I love that you're doing that, and it's it's something I've been trying to do more of as well. I I love listening to music while I walk or jog or run. So I, I struggle sometimes because I'm like, oh, I want my music on my phone. But at the same time, it's I know it's so good to just take a silent walk sometimes and just take in the sounds of the world without any devices strapped to your body.
0: So I applaud you for that. <laughs> yes, my husband has a podcast as well. And at the end of it, he says don't forget to look up, see the beauty around you, see the beauty within you. And I just love that sentence so much because he's the same. He's like, we need to look up. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Okay. I would love to turn the spotlight a little bit more on you and get a little bit more personal. What do you attribute your success to? Because everyone's definition of success is different, but what do you attribute your success to?
1: Hmm. Well I mean to begin I think we have to define what success means because of course you know we all have a different definition of success for me success means that i am i feel like i am a positive uplifting presence in the world in some way big or small meaning you know I'm having a positive imprint on people's lives whether it's five people or fifty people or a thousand people or whatever i'm I'm a positive force. That's a big component of what it means to feel successful to me. Being successful to me also means that I'm, I'm making art that, that moves people on an emotional level. You know, I'm writing articles, I'm writing books, I'm, I'm making art that moves people and that I have enough white space and, and space in my life to spend quality time with people that I love and do things that are not work-related as well. So that's kind of what success means to me along with the obvious, you know, financial component of I'm earning enough money to pay my bills and save and, you know, all that stuff too, of course. So what contributes to my success? I would say, I think I need to thank my family for sure, for always supporting me and believing in me and for being the kind of family that says, yes, you can not. Why are you so stupid? What are you doing? my amazing friends, my clients, my clients who, you know, feel more like friends. I call them my clients sometimes. Mm-hmm. I would like, I would thank and attribute success to, you know, I, I, I really take my mental and physical health very seriously. And it's a huge priority for me. I, I invest in my health a lot, you know, because I understand that if I feel foggy, if I feel anxious, if I feel exhausted you know, I'm of no use to anyone <laughs> and it's, it's very difficult to produce and write and create and make things when you feel completely drained. So, you know, I, I attribute some of my success to just being very disciplined in a good way with taking care of myself. You know, you mentioned earlier on this, on this conversation that you take, you know, the first half of the morning for self-care and yeah, I mean, that's, it's it's not a frivolous luxury. It's crucial, I think, to just feeling good as a human being in a human body. Oh um, yeah. So those are some things. And, and I would also say, you know, just as much as we, we can kind of gripe about technology and, and need to set strict boundaries with technology, I'm also so grateful for modern technology. I mean, I could not I I could not have the career that I have and be able to to record a podcast like we are right now or, or have a video meeting with a client, you know, five time zones away, or submit a book manuscript to my publisher via email. I mean, all of these amazing efficiencies and miracles that we have, I'm very grateful for because it, it does when used with intention technology does create more white space in our lives and more efficiency, not less. So I'm super grateful for that as well.
0: Awesome. Now let's pretend you have a magic wand and you can put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world. Now, besides your books, what (laughs) is one book that you would choose? Oh,
1: that's such a hard question. I would say I would probably choose Die Empty by Todd Henry, which is a book that deeply changed and affected my life. It's a book about getting your ideas, your stories, your, your best and most beautiful work out into the world, not bottling it inside, not, you know, waiting until later, but getting it out, emptying the tank so that you can die empty instead of dying with your best work still inside of you.
0: I love that. I can't wait to read that. I've not read it. So we'll link to it in the show notes. <gasps> get it. Yeah, it is. Sure. I was sobbing by like page five of that book. Oh, oh my <laughs> gosh. I love that. I'm looking for a newie. So I will get that. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about how your day looks. I love hearing about people's morning routines and how their day unfolds. I know two days are never the same, but how do you, you know, prime yourself for the day? and how does your day unfold like on a quote unquote average day or a normal day? not average day? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. So typically, uh, lately, I will wake up without an alarm clock, which is wonderful because I hate alarm clocks. <laughs> and I usually wake up around six thirty or seven. I, the very first thing I do is turn on my coffee maker and make some coffee because I'm a total coffee person. I'll usually take a little quiet time in the morning to have some water, have some coffee. I love to read first thing in the morning, especially fiction, just like a fun book that kind of wakes up my brain and that feels, you know, like a lovely treat to curl up with. And I find that in terms of getting work done, my brain is very active and alive first thing in the morning. So I like to do the bulk of my work, you know, writing, editing, clients, etc., in the beginning of the day. I know some people love to work out first thing in the morning. I don't actually. I like to maybe stretch a little bit, but generally I like to just get into my work because that's when my brain is the most fired up. Then I find by like, you know, early to mid-afternoon, my brain's kind of winding down. I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I'm tapering off for the day and my energy levels are, at least mentally, are not super sharp. So that's when I like to go do a workout, do a yoga class, take a walk, um, do something out in the world that's away from my desk. And then, well, I've already blasted past morning routines, but yeah, the, the, the morning time is, for me, it's, it's about waking up, you know, setting a positive intention for the day, Usually, something like I want to feel strong, or I want to feel calm, or something like that, and then just kind of diving into my work because that's when my brain is the most most smart.
0: <laughs> First thing in the morning, yeah, I love that, and I love that you don't set an alarm. I actually was chatting to a friend on the show a while ago, and and she was she's an entrepreneur as well, and she said that was Jenna Kutcher and Drew Kutcher. I had them on the show a while ago, and Jenna was saying you know, we're entrepreneurs and we've created this dream life. Why are we setting an alarm for 5.30? And I was like, that's a really good point. And I tuned in. I was like, I don't want an alarm. Like I just want to organically wake when my body wants to wake. And yeah. that's what I do now. And it's so beautiful. And at the start, I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to sleep till like 8.30, nine o'clock? Like, am I going to sleep? And my body just wakes up at the same time. Like, Every morning it's it's amazing you know it's anywhere between 5:15 5:30 5:45 like anywhere between there depending what time I go to bed the night before but it's a really beautiful thing to do and I think you know allowing your body to just do its thing and trusting your body and allowing it to just get up when it wants to get up I just think it's really such a nice thing to do
1: yeah. Or if you absolutely must have an alarm clock because you have, you know, an early morning flight or a meeting or you need to get your kids off to school or whatever. For a while, I was using kind of like a, I think it's called the Zen alarm clock where it wakes you up with sort of soothing nature sounds rather than like and that's a nice you know if, if you gotta use an alarm clock it's nice to wake up to some gentle sounds that are that are pleasant to your ears rather than like this aggressive totally beeping which is such an unpleasant way to begin the day
0: totally and and i highly recommend no absolutely no sleeping with your phone in the bedroom we have a sun lamp which mimics the colors of the sun and so it looks like a sun. So it gets, Ooh. it gets, starts to get, say you want your alarm for six o'clock for about half an hour before it'll slowly get brighter and brighter like the sun. And then at six o'clock, the birds will start chirping and it's really beautiful. So if we do have a flight that we need to catch, we do use that. And it's amazing. I'll link to it in the yeah. show notes. Cause I know a million people will be like, what is that? I know that sounds beautiful. I love yeah, it. It's it's really beautiful. It's just called sun lamp. I think the brand is Philips and I think we just got it off Amazon. I'm not sure. I'll link to it in the show notes. But I've got three little rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yes. All right. In your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do today for our health? I'm going to just echo what you just said a moment ago.
1: Take your phone out of your bedroom. <laughs> Get a good night's sleep. I think that's so crucial. And unfortunately, so many of us sleep with our phones, like practically under our pillowcases. So get those phones out of there.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely agree. Okay, what is one thing that we can do for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life.
1: Hmm. I would say focus on what is working rather than obsessing about what's not, you know? focus on saying thank you to the client who did hire you and doing a great job for them rather than obsessing about the five people who didn't hire you. So just keep your attention focused
0: on what is working and let it grow. I love that. And what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life?
1: Forgive everyone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Forgive yourself and forgive everyone. Yeah. I love that. I was going to
0: say, yeah, and yourself and yourself. Yeah, yourself. That's the hardest one, of course, always. <laughs> well, this has been so beautiful. I've loved this conversation so much. But is there anything else that you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom? Anything that you wish I had have asked you about that you really wanted to talk about?
1: Hmm. You know, I can't think of anything. I think I would just I, I kind of want to echo what your your husband says at the end of his podcast, which is to you know, hopefully, after listening to this lovely conversation, maybe put your phone away for the rest of the day <laughs> and take a walk outside without your phone and just live just live that's my my final thoughts
0: yeah, beautiful, thank you, and that's something that I'm definitely more aware of and conscious of now is i 'm very much work like you. I get up, I do my little morning routine, and then i'm more laser focused in the morning. This is when I do my podcasting, my writing, you know, everything I need to do and then lunchtime. And then in the afternoon, it's like, I try to not look at my laptop. You know, I try to be outside as much as I can. I try to, you know, live and and go paddleboarding and go swimming and not be glued to my laptop or my phone. It's just such a beautiful thing that I'm really Mindful of at the moment, just getting out of my office and outside and looking up at the pretty flowers and the trees. It makes such a difference. So, thank you for mentioning that. And one more question for you, my love. What can I personally and the listeners do to serve you today? I'm a massive believer in service. How can we serve you? You've given so much in this beautiful conversation. You've been so open and honest and vulnerable and you've shared so much. So how can we give back and serve you today?
1: Oh, what a lovely question. I mean, the, the obvious things spring to mind. You can, you can check out my website. You can check out my books. My newest book is called So This Is The End a love story. It's a novel, and it's on Amazon and all the other usual places. But really, like, (laughs) I feel very full in my life and in my heart right now. I I feel like I don't really need anything. I think the most lovely thing would be if if people are inspired by some of the things we just shared, if they will just put them into action, you know, and make a list of your mental and physical health self-care steps and do them and, you know, make a list of people you love and make sure you tell them so. Things like that. That would be A lovely a lovely ripple effect from this podcast
0: Mm, thank you so much and we will link to all of your books and your website in the show notes so anyone can go and check those out but thank you so much this has been so beautiful and i'm so grateful that you were able to share all of that with us today thank you for having
1: me and for such really interesting and lovely questions i appreciate it so much
0: What an epic show. I got so much out of today's episode. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And don't forget to come and join the MA Tribe Facebook group. Now, this is where you can share insights from this episode. Plus, tell me who else you would like me to get on the show. It's also a sacred space where we can come together to discuss all the things Mastering Your Mean and Open Wide, along with anything else you feel called to contribute to the open and honest conversation. You will also get some extra love and support personally from me that I won't be offering anywhere else. And one of the most common things I get asked is, where can I find a tribe of like-minded people? This is it. So head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash tribe to join now. It's completely free and we cannot wait to have you in there. And for everything that Alexandra and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 169. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. Another thing I wanted to mention was that if you haven't got my latest book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, rocking relationships and soulful sex, all you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And whilst you're there, you will also get access to my free open wide video masterclass that Nick and I created especially for you. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave me that five-star review right now. I would be so grateful. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best and shiniest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this particular episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you have got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.